Chihuahuabub. <laughs> Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? A podcast where I like to watch and review every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after their original air dates, which means it has been seven long weeks since I've been able to review a Buffy episode for you guys, and I'm very happy to be back. I am making excellent life choices. I just want you to know it is, I think it's technically still April 28th, but it's going to be midnight like any second. (laughs) Like, of course, I'm pouring myself a drink right now, just so you know what that sound is. Of course, you probably didn't need to. Yeah. Excellent life choices, like I said. Drinking lots of wine tonight. Um, so after, you know, not being able to do Buffy, I mean, it's been difficult because this podcast is my favorite creative thing that I do and not being able to do it has really sucked. That said, of course, when I, um, it just happened to be a convergence of events where when Buffy comes back, I have been sleep deprived for the last three nights in a row. I had to work on a Friday, which is normally my day off, which throws me off when my routine is messed up. I mean, it does. And then today I worked all day. And I house-sat house sat for my mom this weekend, too. So just, like, my whole world is just shifted off balance. Because <laughs> it doesn't take much. <laughs> so, anyway, all of that is to say that I haven't been able to start working on this until just now. So, this podcast is not actually going to be up exactly 20 years after the air date of this episode. But I figure you guys will forgive me, right? Okay. Because it has been seven long weeks, I um, decided to do something that um, if I were more of a comedy queen, this would be funnier. Like, I wanted this to be funnier, but I didn't have more time to work on this, so it's not, but whatever. So I had this idea to do a little recap of the every Buffy episode that we have reviewed so far up until now by renaming each episode as if it were a Friends episode. So if you remember, or if you ever knew, Friends episodes are always titled the one with the blah blah blah, the one who blah blah blah. It's always the one something, Um, which is pretty clever because that's normally how somebody would talk about an episode anyway, right? So, um, I just went through and every episode so far, I'm just going to go through real quick. And as, as a previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, here we go. Episode one, welcome to the Hellmouth, the one girl in all the world. Episode two, the harvest, the one slayer in all the world that isn't alone. See, that's one that I really should have worked on. (laughs) Here we go. The witch. The one where Amy's bad witch mom freaky Fridays with her daughter to relive her youth. Teacher's pet. The one where we establish that Xander is only attracted to demons, almost gets eaten by a teacher that is also a praying mantis. 
never kill a boy on the first date. The one where Buffy can't date a normal boy. The Pack. The one where Xander is a hyena and tries to rape Buffy and never apologizes for it. Yeah, I'm never going to forgive him for that. Angel. The one where we find out Angel is a vampire. I, Robot. You, Jane. The one where that boy you met online could be a demon and maybe the internet is evil. The Puppet Show. The one with the creepy Demon Slayer puppet. Nightmares. The one where everyone's nightmares become reality. Out of mind, out of sight. The one where the ignored girl becomes literally invisible. Prophecy Girl. This is the last episode of season one. The one where Buffy dies and wears that cool white dress. <laughs> season two. Episode one. When she was bad. The one where Buffy grinds the master's bones with a sledgehammer to alleviate her angst. Some assembly required. The one where the Frankenstein monster wants a bride and it might be Cordelia. School hard. The one where we meet Spike and Drusilla. Which is really the one where we meet Spike and Drusilla. Ah! Like it has to be like a squeal because that's really exciting. Inca mummy girl. The one where a mummy is attracted to Xander. Reptile Boy, the one where we find out frat boys sacrifice girls to the evil penis demons in their pants. I mean basement. Halloween, the one where everyone becomes their Halloween costumes, except Cordelia. <laughs> Lie to me, the one where we find out liars can be both assholes and sympathetic. The Dark Age, the one where we meet Ripper. What's My Line, Part 1. The one where Buffy is depressed because she won't ever get to have a normal career. What's My Line, Part 2. And why can't she get paid by the Watcher's Council like Giles does? Seriously, that's a rant that I will go on many times and probably already have. Ted. The one where John Ritter is a misogynist robot dating Joyce. Bad Eggs. The one where there are alien facehuggers in your health class assigned eggs meant to teach you parental responsibility. Surprise. The one where Buffy gets birthday sex. Innocence. The one where sex with Buffy is so good, Angel loses his innocence, also known as his soul. Phases. The one where we find out Oz is a werewolf. Bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. The one where Xander does a love spell and it goes awry. Passion. The one where Angel kills Jenny. Killed by death. The one with the Freddy Krueger monster. Okay, so we are now caught up. It is time to talk about the one with the poltergeist. Which is... I only have eyes for you. This episode, I'm just going to tell you right up front, is one of my top 10 episodes of all time. And I regret that I'm not in a better space to give it the proper respect it deserves. I mean, I'm fully prepared to sit here until 2 a.m. talking about it. Um, and I might have to. But um, I still am just worried that I'm not going to do it justice. I think that's why I've been sort of you know, like, I could have started on it hours ago, but I took a nap instead. <laughs> but hey, maybe I needed that nap. Okay, 
So this episode is written by Marty Noxon, who is, I think I probably, I might like her more than Joss Whedon. She is the showrunner of Buffy from seasons four on, I believe. I could be wrong about that. But she at least was a showrunner from five through seven, maybe four through seven. Which, you know, if that's the case, she was showrunner for longer than Joss. So she probably wasn't actually showrunner in season four. Anyway, whatever. Um, She is the one that, you know, if it's a really, really super, like, heart-wrenching and also kind of sexual episode it's probably you probably have Marty Noxon to blame for that I don't think she was around in the first season um and she showed up as a writer in the second season so I don't know in my mind Buffy the credit of Buffy hardly ever goes to Marty Noxon but it really should so this episode is written by her It's directed by, I wrote it down, you guys. I am, sometimes I have information. James Whitmore Jr. is the director. Um, How sad would it be to be a junior? Like, I feel like if I was going to be in the entertainment industry, I would change that. I would make my name into a stage name. Because, like, how sad? Like, I don't know. It's just, like, to have the exact same name as someone else, like... That's, that's why I didn't, you know, change my name when I got married. Because, like, my name is my name. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, not really the same. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so, the episode opens with... I guess I should tell you, like, the plot of the episode before we get started. Besides the one with the poltergeist. So. Plot description according to the episode guide, Bite Me. A poltergeist is haunting Sunnydale High, forcing people to repeatedly reenact a murder that happened over 40 years earlier. So this is set the the murder that keeps getting reenacted from various students and or teachers and or janitors and or Buffy and Angel. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, is it's a it's a specific murder that happened in 1955 at a Sadie Hawkins dance or at a Sadie Hawkins dance. Like it couldn't have been during the Sadie Hawkins dance. Was it? Maybe it was after the Sadie. I don't know. Like the whole like Sadie Hawkins dance plot point, I think kind of falls apart when you actually think about it because, okay, for many reasons, first of all, Sadie Hawkins, like, she wasn't some sort of, like, feminist figure. She was a fictional character that I don't even remember. She was, like, in a comic strip. I don't even remember, like, why they decided. I don't know. Anyway, it's just kind of a silly thing. Anyway, did you guys have Sadie Hawkins dance? I don't think we did. Um... But the whole tradition of it is the girl asks the guy out instead of the traditional guy always asking the girl out. Um, And it's odd because Cordelia has like a little rant in the beginning of the episode about how, you know, everything's going to get really scary. 
if women are le- are the ones that have to pay and are the ones that have to call the shots. And like, I thought that was kind of strange for Cordelia. Like, because Cordelia's like definitely in charge of her own destiny. Like, she's not a meek little girly girl. Um, I don't know. But yeah. So that plot point was kind of odd. Plus, I feel like. And now Seth Green, who plays Oz, is, you know, like a big movie star. And he was even back then, I think. So, like, they didn't have him that often at this point. Like, he's more of a consistent character in seasons three and four, I think. But um, he's kind of like Joyce. Like, Joyce lived, I think, overseas or some shit. And so you don't get to see her that often. So it's just, it kind of seems weird that, like in a plot where there was a Sadie Hawkins dance in a normal episode, like Willow would have been super excited slash nervous to ask Oz to the dance. And you would have gotten like a cute Willow and Oz scene where she's asking him to the dance, but he's not there in this episode. And he hasn't even been in any episode since we found out he was a freaking werewolf. Right? I think maybe he was in the episode after that, but it's been a while. And like, especially now that I'm watching it in the same time intervals that you would have watched it if you were watching it back in 1998, like, it feels like it's been a very long time since we've seen Oz. It's probably been, like, three months, literally, since we've seen Oz. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Um, first of all, like, so excited. I can't even tell you to be back in this world. Like I was excited to see Snyder. I was excited to see Spike and Drusilla. I always, always am. I was excited to see, you know, the janitor. (laughs) We have seen him before. Um, so, okay. So that's the plot of the episode. Um, what else was I going to say about the Sadie Hawkins dance? I feel like I had a point, whatever. I probably didn't. Okay. I feel like I haven't talked to you guys in so long. I forgot how to do this. Um, So the episode opens, we're at the bronze and Splendid is playing, which is um, a band fronted by Angie Hart, who is, she's, she was also the lead singer of Front Day. um, And she was the lead singer of a band called The Sundays for a short period of time. She was not there she was not their normal lead singer, um, but at least for one album she was. Um, who else? Um, Angie Hart, her voice, I am in love with it. I love this song and you actually get to see her because she is like, you know, lip syncing to her own song, performing at the bronze, which is great. Um, so nice little moment. Um, I wrote down one of the lyrics from the song that is one of the first things you hear in the episode, which is language is an annoying necessity. Isn't that true? So true. Um, let's see. Okay. So Buffy is hanging out on the balcony, which is a, a visual gag that they do a lot with Buffy. Every time you see her in the balcony of the bronze, just sort of you know, leaning, staring, you know that she feels separated from everyone. Um, so that's a, 
you know, if you, especially at the beginning of an episode, if Buffy's on the balcony of the fucking bronze, you know that she feels isolated and she's real sad right now. <laughs> so she's on the balcony. Um, she's wearing some like shiny gold vinyl pants and um, her little like springy bangle bracelets that she likes to wear or gold this time instead of silver so that's an interesting choice because she really this is like one of the only times you ever see her wearing gold jewelry I feel like anyway so a kid comes up to her somebody we've never seen before it's wearing a terrible shirt um that I should like because almost every time somebody thinks the shirt is terrible I like it but I didn't like this shirt um very 90s uh I don't even remember what the pattern was but it was bad but it was probably also good you know how that is and he very like stupid he asks her if she wants to ask him to the Sadie Hawkins dance dude seriously he's obviously never even had a conversation with Buffy before we've never seen him and he's it's whatever anyway so so she <clears throat> basically tells him she's she's not dating right now she's not dating ever again <laughs> um okay so then she like goes and finds willow to say goodbye to her because she's just gonna stop by the library real quick and then see if giles wants her to patrol and then she's gonna go to bed uh, and willow makes the comment well you've been doing that a lot lately um because she says something like i'm gonna go patrol and then sack it well you've been doing that a lot lately patrolling and then sacking it all work and no play Buffy and she's like I have fun I have big fun I came here tonight and she's like you came you saw you rejected so she she saw the interaction with the guy apparently which I don't know how you would see that they were on a balcony it would be really hard for her to see that but anyway whatever um and then you cut to the school after hours Giles is there um so is a boyfriend and girlfriend like why <laughs> two students in the middle of the night are at the school and it's not any of the Scooby gang so whatever again there's a lot of plot points to pick apart in this episode and in most episodes of Buffy but um this is one of them so um Buffy shows up just in time they are you see them having a fight and you find out later that they are just being possessed by these two ghosts um so it's a kid I don't know if I said that but it's a a kid named James and then um his teacher Grace they are in love but she's trying to she's saying hey you know I can't give you a normal life no, I'm older than you. Uh, we need to break it off. And he is threatening her with a gun because he loves her so much. And he's like, well, if I can't be with you, then no one can. He kills her. Um, and then himself. So that is the scene that the boyfriend and girlfriend that are at the school are playing, are replaying as Buffy um stops him and you see the i think at this point I mean, you see this scene replay four different times um 
So I don't know exactly when this happens, but I think it's the first time you see the gun when it slides across the floor when Buffy stops the whole thing from happening. The gun just disintegrates. So it is, um, this is credit to the um, Buffy podcast, Buffering the Vampire Slayer for call it, for naming it this, but it's, it's a polter gun because it's not real. Um, but it causes actual damage. But anyway, um, so she stops it from happening. She's like, what the fuck? And they're both, they snap out of it immediately. And they're like, I don't know. We weren't even fighting a second ago. Like, I don't understand. And she's like, you just about went OJ and your girlfriend. <laughs> um, so that happens. She goes to talk to Giles. Um, and one of the things said in the argument between, um, the James ghost and the Grace ghost is a person doesn't just wake up one day and stop loving somebody. Um, so I wrote that down and don't walk away from me, bitch. I love that sentence right there, which, okay. Just a little sidetrack here. When, um, a heterosexual relationship, woman and man are having a fight together. Like, I feel like dudes know that you don't ever call a girl a bitch when you're fighting with her. Never. Ever. Maybe in 1955 you did. I don't know. But I just, like, how is a person supposed to, like, want to go back to you? How is a person supposed to, like, like you or respect you if you call them a bitch? Like, dudes don't do that. Like, I have had some real shitty relationships. Maybe I blocked it, but I don't even think the worst of the dudes that I went out with called me a bitch while we were fighting. You know, they would do, they might do the whole, like, you're being a bitch thing, which is also mostly just as bad, but it's not like, still, it's not outright calling you a bitch, but you still don't say you're being a bitch, but. I did have guys say that to me. Anyway, sidetrack. Um, then we see Snyder. He's getting on to Buffy, whatever. Um, and she sees, uh, like, a yearbook comes flying off the bookshelf, and she just puts it back. Like, good little student Buffy. This is the next day. Um, oh, yeah, he's getting on to her because of the altercation, I guess. And she's like, I stopped that guy from murdering his girlfriend. Like, why am I in trouble? Which, you know, whatever. It was just so we could see Snyder. Um, then, so this is the next morning. Like I said, we cut to Willow is still teaching the class for Jenny, which I, I get that, that one day Jenny entrusted her with like subbing the class for her when she was still alive. I mean, I know that Sunnydale is like a real fucked up place. Again, plot holes. I shouldn't be digging. But like, why would a student in high school be teaching a class? Like, no school board is going to agree to that shit. But anyway, Willow makes a cute binary joke. Everybody laughs. Um, there is, uh, I really enjoyed there were several scenes in the, um, computer lab room in this episode. Um, and there were, I really enjoyed looking at like the, um, 
props in the background, the set pieces. There was some border paper that had multicolored computer mice on the border paper. They were using like CDs as decorations on a bulletin board. Um, but I don't know, I just, I really like the whole computer lab set because it really did remind me of the way that computer labs slash keyboarding class looked in the late 90s because I was in high school back then. I remember. So um, that was fun. Um, then we cut to class. Buffy falls asleep and she dreams about James and Grace. So she has like a Slayer premonition dream. And when she wakes up, the teacher is writing on the chalkboard, don't walk away from me, bitch. Like as he's like, like he doesn't even realize that he's doing it. He's, he's still teaching the class. He's still saying regular, like teaching class words while he writes that on the chalkboard. So the poltergeist is real. And then Buffy's telling after class, Buffy's telling Xander the story of what the teacher did. And Xander opens his locker and like a hand reaches out and like tries to pull him and choke him or something. And Buffy saves him, saves him. They go talk to, they go tell Giles about it in the library. And it's funny, Xander, Xander's talk, retelling the story and he calls it a locker monster. And Giles, who's like shelving some books or something, like crouched down behind him, he like gets really excited and he goes, Loch Ness monster? Like Giles is like ready to go if it's a Loch Ness monster. Like I love Giles's excitement at new monsters. <laughs> it's just so fun. Like academically, he gets excited, um, even though he understands that it's dangerous and like you know, he's Kasha man, but he also academically is like, what? We get to deal with the Loch Ness monster? I'm into it. I'm ready. Um, so that was cute. Let's see. And then we sort of get the, the exposition scene. So Xander's like, this is, I'm dead as hell and I'm not taking it anymore. And Giles is like, okay, that sounds like a poltergeist. And then they, he sort of gives the context of, um, well, how do we fight it? Buffy's like, well, how, how do we fight it if it's a poltergeist? And Giles says, well, we have to work out what the unresolved issues of the ghosts are so that we can, the things that keep it here so that we can resolve them. So they just basically set it up that we need to, like, in order to fight this demon, we have to, like, get inside its head and we have to, um, work it out. So it's a psychological, it's, you know, a, a literal poltergeist and a psychological poltergeist. So I just, I think that aspect of it, the metaphors, um, in this episode are really airtight, like seriously, psychological stuff going on. <laughs> and then I, my next note was Marty, you vixen. I love you. <laughs> I really do. Again, this is one of my top 10 episodes of all time. So I really, really like it. I think overall, just looking at this episode as if it's like a poltergeist horror movie, it's, it's just good. I don't know. I enjoy it. Um, let's see. Okay. Giles reacted slowly. Okay. So I think we're cutting to the, 
the night of this day now. So you see again someone get possessed with this situation um, and it is um, a janitor and a teacher this time. So you see them right beforehand and you get the context that like they sort of know each other, they know each other's names, but they're just co-workers. Um, so the teacher's leaving, it's late at night, um, and then suddenly they get possessed and they're James and Grace. And see, the situation that happens every single time is that Grace gets shot on a balcony that we've never even seen before at Sunnydale, I don't think. Uh, maybe we have. And falls off the balcony, dies on the steps, and then James goes into the band room and kills himself. So um, this is the only time that someone actually gets hurt when this scenario starts to play out because Giles is in the library as he always is and he hears something and he starts to go investigate as this is happening between the janitor and the teacher and he gets distracted because he hears like a whispered voice um, female voice saying I need you and he decides it's Jenny and so he's distracted by that just long enough that the janitor actually shoots and kills the teacher. So even though it's a polter gun and it's probably a polter bullet, the damage caused by the bullet is permanent. <laughs> so here's another plot point, plot hole, plot hole point. Um, you never see police. Like someone just died. A teacher just died. Just, I mean, like this is what, I mean, if we're going by real time, the episode that aired where Jenny got killed was about two months ago. Like, just two months ago, another teacher gets killed? Like, really? Okay. Anyway, you never see police because they're just kind of like, you guys just fucking deal with your own shit. Okay, I can't. I can't. Sunnydale Police Force is like, cannot even right now. Okay. So he re reacted slowly because he, um, and this is where you start to get into the, the real psychological damage that we are going to have to deal with here, which is Giles starts to believe that the poltergeist is Jenny, um, which is completely irrational. Doesn't make any goddamn sense. Like it's a very specific thing that is happening. It has nothing to do with the way that Jenny died or the way that Jenny was in life, but he believes this because he's so hurt that he wants to believe that Jenny's trying to contact him and Jenny needs his help. Um, and it's very sad. Um, so that's Giles's damage that we're dealing with. Um, <laughs> oh, and I wrote down another teacher shot in Sunnydale high must be Tuesday. Um, then we get a scene with Drew, Spike and Angel. They have gotten a new um, crypt. And it's this really beautiful, it has this really beautiful garden with night blooming jasmine. Angel has found it um, for them. And Spike's still in the wheelchair, remember? Um, and they have to get a new place because Giles burned down the factory whenever he was pissed off at Angel after he killed Jenny. Um, okay, so I think at this point it's like the next day again and they're at the library 
And um, this is when Giles says, well, I think it's obvious it's Jenny. And everybody's like, um, I don't think it's Jenny. Like, this is a really specific thing. I don't think this is Jenny. And they try to say it delicately. And Giles has this whole speech of like, I encourage you to, to question authority. You should never be cowered by authority, except in this case, in which you are clearly wrong and I am clearly right. And everybody just sort of immediately understands that, okay, Giles is not going to be able to help in this situation because, yeah, he, he's out. He's out. And they just, they go, they continue the conversation. It's um, Cordelia, Buffy, Willow, and Xander. They, they go move to the computer lab room, which is now Willow's domain because she teaches a computer lab class, whatever. Um, and, uh, they continue the conversation there, like, okay, what are we going to do? Giles is out. Um, yeah, let's see. And this is where you start to see some of Buffy's damage, Buffy's psychological poltergeist damage in the situation because she is angry. This is where they find out, Willow does research on the internet. They find out that this, what this murder was that's being reenacted. She finds it extremely quickly. Um, on Jenny's computer, which is not burnt to a crisp, because she 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 drops some nuggets, more plot holes. She drops some nuggets about like, um, I've been on the internet looking at Jenny's like pagan sites and blah blah blah, and you're like, um, didn't that computer get wiped, but it's just back on the desk, and she's actually making reference to files that Jenny has on her computer. <laughs> like, okay, um, I totally saw Angel, like, have a little bonfire with that computer, but whatever. Um, but she finds, you know, like a newspaper article, um, so they realize what's going on, what the context of the situation is, the history of it, and Buffy just like immediately is like, she is angry and she is, you know, like, well, he should be in jail, like for 60 years, making friends with Big Bertha or whatever. Um, and Xander, um, I like this quote, uh, where is it? gee, the quality of mercy is not Buffy. <laughs> um, because Willow sort of says, you know, I feel bad for him. Like he was a student, he was in love with his teacher. Like she tried to break it off and like, I don't know why they, anyway, whatever. They then, um, go to lunch and in the cafeteria, all of a sudden there are snakes everywhere. So that's another, um, I just love all the, like, there's so many details, like the poltergeist situation manifests in so many different ways in this episode, like the locker monster, the, like the specific situation, the chalkboard thing, the snakes, like there's like all kinds of stuff, just bam, bam, bam. Um, Michael had a good point. We watched it together and he was like, why didn't this happen every year at the Sadie Hawkins dance? If this happened in 1955, why isn't this playing out every time? Um, which is also a question that they had on buffering the vampire slayer. And they had some theories. My theory is 
with all of the like extreme emotional angst that you're getting from Buffy right now, who is a slayer and a very powerful person and she can manifest things with her emotions. Like it's part of the slayer gig, I think. Um, with that, plus Giles's pain and anguish, who is also like they've made allusions to, but haven't ever really gone deeply into it, that his watcherness is a certain kind of calling as well. So he's also like, he's mystically significant, you know, the watcher and the slayer, mystically significant, both in extreme pain right now from loss of love. So I think that even if the spirit of James has been stuck in Sunnydale High since 1955, I think he wasn't powerful enough to manifest in this way until now because he was emboldened, made more powerful by their pain. And this is something I mean, this is something they did not like say explicitly, but because um, it, it wasn't an anniversary of the death or anything, because this was 1998 and that was 1955. Like they didn't explain that maybe this was the first Sadie Hawkins dance they've had since the tragedy. Like that could have been an easy way to explain it if they wanted to. You know, they could have been like, well, you know, this terrible thing happened. So then they decided to stop having Sadie Hawkins dances, but now they decided to do it again. Anyway, whatever. Another plot hole. Okay, so Snakes in the Cafeteria. Um, cut to, like, everyone running around crazed. Um, some snake exterminators come? I don't know, a bunch of guys in yellow outfits, like, running around just as crazed as everyone else, but they've got snakes on little sticks. I don't know. Um, and then you get a conversation between Snyder and some other suited person, um, asking questions like, what are you going to tell the authorities? Or what are you going to tell the news? Or whatever. How are you going to explain this? And what are you going to say? Like sewer lines backed up? Um, and Snyder's kind of mocking it, but then someone comes by like, what happened? And Snyder's like, sewer lines. Same thing happened last week and wherever. Um, and then you get, I don't like, I don't even know. I feel like we've had one little nugget of another conversation maybe up to this point where you you kind of suspect that Snyder knows more than you think he does. And this is where you get actual confirmation of it because Snyder says, we live on a hell mouth. Like we're running out of explanations for all these occurrences or something like that. So, hey, we know for sure that Snyder knows that they're on a hell mouth. Um, and this leads me to think, I wonder if he knows about Buffy. Like, that would really explain why he's constantly ragging on her if he knows that she's the Slayer. But I don't know if we... I don't know if we ever find out that he already knew or not. Um, I don't know. But um, just... And then they say something about the mayor. Which, gentle reminder, this is not a spoiler-free podcast. Okay, there's your warning. 
um, the next season, the big bad is going to be the mayor. So um, I like that they're already dropping nuggets. I think this is not the first time, but they say something about, well, the mayor is going to be mad at you, Snyder. I don't know. They don't actually say that, but whatever. They say something about the mayor in this scene. Um, okay. Later, um, Willow has come up with a plan. Um, she, they're talking at Buffy's house. So this is that night they're talking in Buffy's bedroom and she has, and it's Cordelia, Xander, Willow, and Buffy again. So, um, she has drawn like a little map and she's like, okay, this, we need to make a triangle mystical convergence. The areas where the, the power of the poltergeist are the most prevalent, like the cafeteria where the snakes are, and you know, they each have their spots. And then the center of the triangle is where the murder happened. So Buffy was going to take that spot. So Willow has... And it's so cute. The little map is like marked with um, little gold stars. <laughs> of course it is. Um, so I, I think that Willow's plan is really cute. Like she has this spell. She's, they're going to, basically they're going to exercise the demon. They're each going to take a spot. They're going to light a candle. They're going to do a chant. Um, she's got a whole plan and it doesn't involve Giles because Giles is out. Um, and I like that whenever she says something about an exorcism, Cordelia's like, I saw that movie. Even the priest died. <laughs> so they go to the school so they can each have their spots. Xander is, Xander takes the cafeteria and he says, gee, it's, or something like, it's snake-alicious in here. Um... Cordelia has the bathroom. Oh, I forgot to say she got bit in the face by one of the snakes in the cafeteria. So she's got like a bandaid on her cheek. She takes the bathroom. Why does she take the bathroom? I don't know. Whatever. She's in the bathroom. Um, and Willow is on like some steps in a hallway. I don't know. So they all have a black taper candle. Um, Buffy, of course, is in the most dangerous spot. She's at the spot where um, the teacher died on the balcony. And um, so they're supposed to all light candles in these separate spots exactly at midnight, do the chant. And as it's leading up to it hasn't struck midnight yet, all this shit starts happening. So um, Cordelia sees like burns on her face when she looks at her face in the mirror. Um, I don't know what happens with Xander. Xander, I don't know if anything really... I don't think Xander's in any danger. Um, and neither is Buffy. Like, it's just like wind or whatever. And Willow, the floor, like, opens up and starts, like, pulling her down in quicksand. And she has just had... I guess I should have mentioned this, but before she went to that spot, she went to say something to Giles. I think she might have had the intention of telling him what they were about to do, but Giles is still fully in the delusion of, like, he's doing research. Uh, he's, he's, he knows it's Jenny. And, like, he still fully believes that this whole thing is Jenny. And Willow quickly realizes, I can't even tell you what we're doing right now because you're out. And he's just like, okay, you better, you, you better go home. Like, this could get dangerous. 
and Will's like, okay, see you later, Giles. <laughs> and she goes to her spot. Um, but she's within, like, yelling distance. So whenever the floor starts eating her, she starts screaming for him. And he comes out and um, saves her. Like, luckily, he snaps out of it long enough to save Willow. And as soon as he pulls her out of the floor, um, Willow just looks at him and says, Giles, Jenny could never be this mean. And that's when he finally is like, okay, you're right. This isn't Jenny. And it's just, it's a really sweet scene of just like, you know, everybody has been really delicate with him and they understand what he's going through. And it's just dealt with in such a, I don't know, such a sweet way without nobody like tries to call him out on like, you're so dumb, Giles. They understand it's very, everything is dealt with, with him with a lot of emotional intelligence because they understand he's going through something big right now. Jenny just died. Um, so I don't know that I think that's just so sweet. That whole plot line of, you know, dealing with Giles's, you know, emotional sadness and delusions. Like everybody is just so sweet. Um, let's see. Um, we get a scene with Drusilla again, uh, Drusilla Spike and Angel and Drusilla has a vision and she tells Angel that it's time that Buffy's ready. She's dancing with death. Um, and I think we're supposed to believe that she doesn't know the exact context of this. Um, and probably that's the way it's written. However, y'all know that my head cannons when it comes to Drusilla are vast and complex. <laughs> so my theory is that Drusilla knew exactly, like she knew that, you know, sending Angel to the school was going to be an emotional thing. It was going to be something that was torturous to Angel. I think that even though Drusilla acts like she's super into Angel, I think she wants him to be tortured. She prefers him with a soul because that's when he's the saddest. You know, you remember that scene is probably in the, it was still in the first season or early in the second, I don't know, whatever that scene where she was torturing him back when he still had a soul and she was like, you know, pouring hot wax on him and cutting him or whatever it was she was doing. She was torturing him and she was telling him how he made her insane and how he killed all her family and she wanted him to be in pain. So I think she knows what she's sending him into and she just sort of, you know, lures him to Buffy. Um, so you see that she has a vision and whatever. Um, ba -ba -ba -ba. That's kind of out of context. I think that scene happens before um, the whole quicksand floor thing. Um, okay. So after that, basically all their candles burn out. They try to do the chant. It doesn't work. Um, and then wasps invade the school. Um, 
and they all run out, including Giles. Like, no one else is in the school at this point. It's just them. So they all leave. They go back to Buffy's house. This is where I have to say it. Where the fuck is Joyce? They don't even try to, like, be like, yeah, mom's really busy at the gallery these days. They don't even do it. (laughs) Just, you know, they're all hanging out at Buffy's house. Joyce is nowhere to be found. Absentee mom. Um, so they're all um, just having a conversation on the couch. What are they going to do now? The whole school is surrounded by wasps. Um, and they're acting like, you know, it's completely impenetrable. They won't be able to get in ever. What are we going to do? Is school shut down. Um, and they're just talking about it. Let's see. Um, I didn't write down much. This is a good conversation, though, because... You get, I mean, at this point, Giles is, he's back in the game. He's, he's good to go. He knows it's not Jenny. He's ready to solve some problems. And Buffy is out. Now it's Buffy that's out. She is, um, Taggart. <laughs> I don't know. But she is obviously very, very angry, like, um, ranting about James and how he, he did something awful in a moment of passion. He's just going to have to live with it. And, um, Xander's like, well, he can't live with the buff. He's dead. And she just sort of storms off. And that's when, um, Oh, I got to say first, you know, like, and they start talking about the concept of forgiveness, you know, like he, he wants to be forgiven. And Buffy's like, if you, no, you can't ever forgive him. He's awful, whatever. And she's just very angry and I'm not portraying him well. (laughs) And, um, this is when we get the quote of the episode from Giles. He says, to forgive is an act of compassion, Buffy. It's not done because people deserve it. It's done because they need it because Buffy's saying he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve anything. He's, he killed her, you know, like he did something in an act of passion and he's going to have to live with it, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I just, I just want to say that one more time to forgive is an act of compassion. It's not done because people deserve it. It's done because they need it. I think about that quote all the time. I think it's so important And it's something that I really do consider when there's a situation in my life where I am called upon to forgive someone for something, you know, sometimes you really do do it because they need it more than you. Um, yeah, anyway, I've never been like a super grudge holder. I don't, I say that and yet... I am like a fiercely loyal friend. Like I will be loyal to someone and I will give them the benefit of the doubt. Once I've decided to trust someone, which it takes a while for that to happen. But once I've decided to trust someone, like I will trust them till the ends of the earth till five years beyond when I should have like maybe not trusted them. And that's when I just like something will happen and I'm just done. I'm just done done. Um, but I still don't think of myself as a grudge holder. 
because even if I'm at the point where I'm done, a person could come to me and like have an open, honest conversation with me about shit and I will forgive them. So I think I am pretty forgiving. Anyway, whatever. Who cares? So where are we? Um, so Buffy has stormed off, um, after, you know, that whole situation, she's very upset. Um, and as she walks out of the room, this was also one of the best quotes, but it's just too short to be the quote of the episode. But, um, after she storms out of the room, um, they pan over to Cordelia and she says, gee, I did over identify much. Or she says, okay, over-identify much? And I love that. I love that she just, you know, is sitting there the whole time, not saying anything, but she totally understands what's up. Like, Cordelia is paying attention. Like, in case you forgot, she pays attention. Okay, so. They continue having conversation, like, Giles, what do we do? Giles is like, well, we can't really go back in there right now because the school is surrounded by wasps. Like he's super, James's spirit is super, they've basically identified that it's James's spirit only. Um, that is this whole situation. And, um, so they're just theorizing about what to do. And then Willow goes to the kitchen where Buffy has stormed off to, and she has left. Um, I think you see before, before Willow discovers that she's gone. You see Buffy walk into the kitchen. She pulls a flyer out of her pocket for the Sadie Hawkins dance. Like, why? Whatever. And then she goes to the school. She's being drawn there. And when she gets there, the wasps part like a curtain for her. So they want her. So um, whenever Willow discovers that she's gone, they see the flyer and they just know that Buffy's there. So they all go to the school and they're just standing outside helpless. Here's another like rant that I have to have. So they're stat they're standing outside this, the whole rest of the episode. Everything happens while they're standing outside looking at a wall of wasps. And Buffy's in there possibly being possessed. They don't even know for sure that she's in there. They didn't see her go in there. They just assume. Rightfully so. Logically so. But the, still, it's a total assumption. And they're not doing anything. Like, that I find a little unbelievable. They're just kind of standing out there. Like, they didn't even show them trying to get in there or anything. Anyway, so they get there, wall of wasps, and Giles says, you know, well, so did, I think Xander says, so did Buffy just go in there to get shot? And Giles is like, well, there's no man for James to, to play his part. There's nobody else in there. Like, they assume Buffy's in there, but they also assume that there's no dude in there. Like, if the spirit is calling to Buffy, why wouldn't the spirit also call to some dude, right? Anyway, so, so many plot holes in this episode, even though it's one of my top 10 episodes of all time. Top 10 Buffy episodes of all time. Um, let's see. So at this point, okay, so Buffy's in there, 
um, right after Giles is like, well, there's no dude in there. You see, they, they go, they cut to Buffy inside the hallway, of the school in school. And, um, J- Angel walks up behind her because, you know, Drew has lured him there. And, um, that's when the scene starts playing out. But instead of Buffy playing the girl part, she plays James, which makes total sense because the argument between James and jo- and Grace is all about, um, you know, he is a high school student and she is a teacher. There's an age difference. That's the whole problem with their relationship. And in this scenario, the vampire is the dude. So he's the older one. He's the teacher. Um, so whenever the scene starts playing out, Buffy is James. And it makes total sense. And it's a very emotional scene. It's a very well-acted scene. It is so good. And I get chills every time I watch it. I just love the level of emotional intensity that can be brought by Marty Noxon. Round of applause for Marty Noxon. Okay. Taking my last drink of wine in Marty Noxon's name. There it is. Okay. So Angel shows up. The scene starts playing out. It's kind of uneven at first, but I I get why they did it where Buffy is fully possessed by James, like two or three sentences before it happens to Angel. Because at first he's mocking her because she says, you know, you can't just walk away from me. You can't, it's not over just because you say it is. I'm not going to go anywhere. And Angel's like, okay, you're pathetic. And then as soon as he like gets within a few feet of her, he also becomes possessed And then they start playing out the scene. And this is where the poltergeist gets his psychological resolvement. (laughs) It's not a word, but resolution, not resolvement, resolution. There's often a very easy word to end a sentence and I don't think of it. Okay. So resolution. Um, So they go through the whole scene and it's really fun because you're getting it's fun in in the way that it's emotionally gut-wrenching but you keep getting flashbacks to the actual scene and this is when you finally get to see the whole thing because up until this point you've just seen like little snips of it here and there and you didn't get the flashbacks of what actually happened during it you just see whoever's possessed playing it out so you're seeing flashbacks of the actual event as it's happening between Angel and Buffy. And um, the point that where James is pointing the gun at Grace and he says, don't walk away from me, bitch. Um, You're seeing the flashback up until the word bitch. And then it goes straight to Buffy and her calling Angel bitch, which I love. It was just perfectly timed. Great moment. I love it when, you know, I love 
I love role gender role reversal in general, which is one of the reasons why, you know, I love Buffy because Joss Whedon's big thing, like it's very simple. Like he basically just, you know, takes copies off other people's plots and other people's ideas and he just flips the genders. Like that's his whole thing. Um, and I like it. Like it's a very simple thing. But I love I love that. So she calls him bitch and um, she's chased him out on the balcony and she shoots him. The whole scene plays out because no one's there to stop it. Angel falls off the balcony. He's shot. He looks like he's dead. Um, Buffy slash James reacts to it, goes to the band room, turns on the Flamingo song, I Only Have Eyes For You, which is what the episode is named after. Um, which, fun fact, I don't think I've mentioned it yet, the song I Only Have Eyes For You by the Flamingos came out in 1959, and this whole situation is set in 1955. Whatever. Google wasn't a thing back then. People weren't probably thinking about that back then. Um, that little minor detail. But anyway, so James goes back to the band room. He puts the song on. He stares at himself in the mirror like, oh my God, what did I do? You see that it was an accident when he shot her. Like, yes, he was pointing a gun at her. But, and he was yelling at her and calling her a bitch. But he was just having an emotional moment and he accidentally pulled the trigger. He didn't actually intend to pull the trigger. I don't think he ever intended to pull the trigger. He wanted to scare her into going, resuming their relationship. So, not that that makes it forgivable. Like, I don't forgive James either. I don't care if he needs it. I'm an asshole, just like Buffy. So... Angel falls off the balcony. He looks like he's dead. Buffy goes back to the band room. She puts the record on. She's looking at herself in the mirror. She's about to shoot herself, just like James did in 1955. And that's when Angel shows up because he's a vampire. He can't get killed by a bullet, polter, or otherwise. And he comes into the band room and as Grace, they're still possessed. They're still, yeah. And he's like, he, he just tells her he forgives her basically and she's like but I shot you and he says I never stopped loving you not even with my last breath you know it's just real cheesy but then they kiss and you see like you know a little mystical situation happening above their heads as they're kissing and it's the resolution of the spirits and they're able to finally move on and you see that happen and then they break off the kiss and Buffy looks at Angel and she's like, Angel? And he growls and pushes her away and runs off. <laughs> he is disgusted um, by the fact that he was feeling emotions because everyone that's been possessed by the poltergeist so far they remember what happened after like momentary confusion they remember what happened they just don't understand why it happened so um angel goes back and you get another scene um between spike angel and drusilla and he's like washing himself furiously in the fountain of their little garden at their new place and he's just so disgusted like she made me feel something oh and Buffy and Drusilla's like, poor angel.
angel. Um, but I think she's like, yeah, poor baby. <laughs> um, and she's like, was it a demon? And he's like, no, it was love. Oh, poor angel. And they decide to go kill a toddler to make themselves feel better or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so then cut to they're all back in the school again because the wasps have departed because, you know, the poltergeist is gone. Everything's cool again. They're all in the library, just sort of like, oh, God, what happened? Is everything all right? And um, Buffy is in Giles's office just by herself, just like staring off into space. Because you can imagine, like, the person that you love, she blames herself because she had sex with him and she was the reason that he lost his soul. So she feels like she killed him. So that's why she identified with James's situation, obviously. And she's, you know, you can imagine like the person that you love, the person you thought you killed, you were making out with him for a second and all was well. And then reality comes crashing back in. Um, and she was so angry at James because she's so angry with herself. She couldn't forgive James because she couldn't forgive herself. Um, and so she's just sitting in there, like staring off into space and Giles comes in and he asks her if she's okay. And she says, part of me just doesn't understand why she would forgive him, you know, cause that was a resolution. Grace forgave James for fucking killing her. And Giles says, well, it doesn't matter. She's like, well, I guess not. Um, which is weird resolution to that. Like, yeah, it matters. I think it matters. I do. But, and it, and it was kind of weird because like the language, whenever Grace had decided, like, she's like, oh, it wasn't your fault. It was an accident. Like it, I don't know. It felt a little problematic. However, like the fact that they had that conversation of, I don't get why she would forgive him. Well, does it matter? I guess not. So that makes it a little better because, you know, whatever, they're both dead. <laughs> so she forgave him. So in the afterlife, you can forgive an abusive dude, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> it's all over anyway. <laughs> um, anyway. So that's, um, and then the very last scene, we go back to Spike and Drusilla and Angel. I think that's when we get the whole like, okay, I'm going to go kill a toddler because I feel dirty. Um, and Drusilla and Angel go by themselves because it's almost daylight. And Spike's in the wheelchair and he would just slow them down. Oh my God. I haven't mentioned this yet. Angel and his fucking ableist jokes. Like, he's just being so cruel to Spike and just trying to tear him apart, which is totally what Spike, what Angel would do. So I understand. But it's just awful to watch. Like, he keeps, you know, like, sit and spin. Like, you'd be hell on wheels. Like, there's just, like, so many, like, cliche, awful things that he keeps saying to Spike that it's just, it's cringy. I don't like watching it. But anyway, so Drusilla and Angel leave to go kill a toddler real quick or whatever. And Spike stands up from his wheelchair. So for whatever reason, he's keeping it a secret from them that he can walk again. 
probably just because he feels isolated and, you know, he feels rejected by Drusilla right now, um, which is sad when you think about it because Spike really, really loves Drusilla. And when she was injured, when we first met them, she, he was very doting on her and he took care of her and he made sure she was okay when she was feeble. But now that the tables are turned, Drusilla is kind of aloof towards Spike. Um, and I think we're supposed to see that as Spike is unique. He can love. Um, and not to say that Drusilla doesn't love him back, but without a soul, she is a different creature than he is. He still has like such an abundance of romanticism in him that even without a soul, a lot of that's still there. Whereas I don't think it's the same with Drusilla. I think always Spike loved Drusilla more than she loved him back. But it's still really just sad to see that she's not taking care of him the way that he took care of her. Anyway, so you see that he can walk again, and I think we're supposed to think, you know, something bad's going to happen. Spike and Drusilla and Angel are going to be awful soon, but it's really just going to be Angel versus Buffy. Um, but anyway, we have, so that's the end of the episode. So let's get into Forgive Yourself, Buffy. I wrote that down. <laughs> um, let's get into my ratings for the episode. So object of the episode, um, I decided on the mouse, the computer mouse border paper that is in the computer room. <laughs> it's terrible. It's not really cute, but I would totally use it to deck. I have like this tiny little like 12 by 12 cork board thing that I use as a bulletin board next to my monitor. And I would totally use that border paper if I had it. So that's my object of affection for the episode. Um, featured outfit. I gotta say, everybody's outfits in this episode were real forgettable and real terrible. Like Cordelia's outfit made her look like she was 35. Um, Charisma Carpenter, who plays Cordelia, is actually 27, I think, at this point but she's supposed to look like a high school student, but her like weird little like booby sweater set slash, I mean, she looked like a 35 year old working in an office. Like what was that outfit? It was so bad. Buffy's outfit was just sort of nondescript. She was kind of wearing, um, a vinyl shirt jacket type thing and her hair was blown back because she was about to be possessed by James. Um, so with just like black pants and black shoes, it was very nondescript. Um, Drusilla was just wearing her normal dress, which has been the featured outfit of the episode before. She was wearing her like red lace dress, which is awesome. Um, but still, uh, so yeah, Willow was just wearing some like citronella tights and her normal situation. Xander was wearing his normal, everybody was like wearing their, their normal type of outfits, but like the most understated, like dumb 
<laughs> version of those outfits. I don't know. I think Xander's shirt was actually really terrible. Um, I'm trying to block it from my memory, and I think I did so effectively. Um, so I think my outfit of the episode is not applicable for the first time. Even though this is one of my favorite episodes, I don't like anyone's clothes or their makeup or anything. Like, Buffy's nail polish is good because she's wearing her taupe nail polish, and I love her taupe nail polish. But, yeah, I don't know. It's real bad. It's just bad outfit episode. Um, so I, I think I decided to give it to Giles just because he was wearing a nice tweed ensemble like he usually does. So I'm going to give it to Giles just as a default because everyone else's outfits sucked. The quote of the episode is the, um, to forgive is an act of compassion. It's not done because people deserve it. It's done because they need it. Kind of tied with Cordelia's okay over identify much. The most valuable player of the episode I am giving to Cordelia. Well, I want to give it to Cordelia because of the over, over identify much quote. However, I think the actual MVP of the episode is Willow. She's teaching that class. She had that awesome idea, even though the spell backfired and it didn't work. She had a really good plan for the exorcism. She really stepped up and she's the one that found the newspaper article. Like without her, nothing would be possible in this episode because Buffy was emotionally damaged and she was out. Giles is emotionally damaged and he was out. Like Willow stepped up and she got it done. So I'm going to give it to Willow actually my five by five ratings. So, um, since it's been a while, you might not remember what I do here. Although you probably do because in reality, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably just listening to it, you know, however much you, however often you want. But if you're listening in real time and it is April 29th of 2018, and it has been seven weeks since we've had an episode here are the things that I rate episodes on. Um, I do two ratings, one for enjoyability, zero to five, one for um, the clarity of message of the episode. So like every episode of Buffy is supposed to be like a horror metaphor for real life. So I like to rate zero out of five, how well that message comes through. And then I multiply those two scores to get my final score for the episode. So enjoyability of this episode, I gave it a four. Even though it's one of my top 10 episodes of all time, it's not going to get a perfect five because it's not restless. That's my favorite episode of all time. Um, it gets a four because of the outfits, because of the plot holes galore that I have mentioned. And, um, yeah, so it gets a four. As far as clarity of message, I think it really effectively drove home the psychological turmoils, the emotional shit that Giles and Buffy are both going through the aftermath. I think this, this show one of the things that it does the best is it really 
you have emotional consequences for things. If somebody dies, people are going to deal with that shit for a while. It's not just going to be forgotten about. Um, The emotional weight of situations is real in this show. And this episode is um, a real testament to that. Uh, Yeah. So I give it a five for clarity of message. So that means this episode overall gets a score of 20. That's it for my notes. Um, I've been talking about the episode twice as long as the episode actually was. Thanks for listening tonight. I am sad that I have been absent for so long, but it's not my fault. I think we get an episode next week. I'm going to double check on that in my little episode guide. May 5th. Yes, that is next Saturday. So I will be back in a week with Go Fish, which is the episode, the one where Xander is in a Speedo. (laughs) Um, So that's kind of a fluff episode, kind of a B-movie b-horror movie episode so it's kind of a fun one it's the last fun one of the season because after that we have the two-parter that ends the season becoming part one and becoming part two and it's gonna get real heavy so i mean it's been heavy it's been pretty heavy (laughs) but um so what do you guys think about I only have eyes for you. Is it one of your favorite episodes too? I'd love to hear about it. So if you would like to contact me, um, my email is mixtressray at protonmail.com. So I just changed it. So that's M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E at protonmail. So email me and let me know your thoughts on the episode, on the podcast. Are you excited that we're finally back? Um, there was this quote in my episode guide, um, bite me the episode guide. What was it? I wanted to read for you guys. After seven weeks of Buffy withdrawal syndrome. Let me start that sentence over. I've had like four glasses of wine. After seven weeks of Buffy withdrawal syndrome, I only have eyes for you was a brilliant way to return to the show. Isn't it though? It is. It feels like it's been an eternity. Um, so yeah, we only have three more episodes of season two. So pretty exciting stuff. I will be back next week with Go Fish. Um, I will see you then. Bye.